Hi everyone. So today, again, really, really lucky. We've got one of our former GB teammates with us, Elizabeth Simmons, uh, otherwise known as Simo. Um, she's double Olympian, uh, double European champion and world and Commonwealth medalist as well. Uh, she's now a blogger, speaker and mentor. And as far as I'm aware, she's still the woman who I know to have relatively the biggest calves. Um, <laughs> so welcome, Simo. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm good. Good to be connecting. The world seems to have changed a lot in the last 10 weeks, but uh, yeah, no, good to be on. Yeah, good. cheers, yeah. mate. Yeah, Thanks for coming you. on, yeah. Looking very, very well. I'd say lockdown seems to be agreeing with you. <laughs> no, so, so are you guys. So are you guys. Joe, you, like, you, you look like you've been working out, so. Oh, well, I've only got two bricks and half a... Are you tensing? <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got no gym equipment whatsoever. <laughs> doing what we can, doing what we can. Uh, would you mind just sort of starting from the beginning, Mish, and just giving us like a, a general overview of sort of your swimming career? Like, you know, highs, lows, where you... General overview. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I started my um, career in Lincoln, so my parents are based in Lincoln, so... Um, joined the local kind of swimming club. I think I did other sports. I've got brothers, so probably quite a competitive start to uh, to my career. Probably just got pushed in the pool at some point. Um, yeah, it started. I apparently swam a mile when I was six, which seems excessive for a six-year-old. Um, I kind of started progressing through the the ranks of a club, and uh, by the age of kind of twelve or thirteen, I think I was picked up by kind of the British Swimming Smart Track um, like development programs. And um, we started to do some camps and some uh, competitions abroad, which was pretty cool at, at that age to be going to like 13, 14, going and competing at World Cups and things like that. Um, made my first senior team at 15, which was, uh, I was definitely the, the baby of the team to be going out to the, the uh, European Championships in Budapest in 2006. Um, first Olympic Games at 17, which also coincided with me then moving away from home and joining Loughborough, joining the dream team, which is where I met you guys. Um, stay at Loughborough for, for the next four years and during those they would probably be the most successful four years of, of my career with the, the European champs uh, lots of world champs and Commonwealth Games as well within that, that period of time uh, London 2012 was kind of for me a, a, a huge highlight and also slightly bittersweet as well so uh, highlighting just that you know it's a home games and I think you guys are probably the same but I only really since stopping can you reflect back and think how lucky you were to go to a home games and like not just a Olympic games but a, a home Olympics and um, so a pretty special experience and a big step up for me from Beijing as well which Beijing was an amazing experience for me I was I was really young and um, it was pretty a pretty cool exotic exciting games but it did feel a long way away from home my my mum and dad hadn't gone they, uh, I think they had summer plans somewhere else. Um, uh, cheers, guys. Thanks for the support. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was an incredible experience. But then, you know, London, just really a step up from that to be obviously here in the UK. Um, and yeah, but obviously came, came fourth of those games, which was kind of a bittersweet finish for me um, to, to finish just outside of the podium. Um, but, but still, you know, an incredibly special experience. And I, I reflect now back on it with, with very fond memories. I um, spent the next four years in Bath and kind of had mixed results during, during that time, a few more world champs and Commonwealth Games under my belt, um, and then moved to Edinburgh at the end of my career, finished my career up in, in Edinburgh, um, and at, finished my career at the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast, so not, 
not a bad place to to stop and hang up the goggles for good. Um, and yeah, I've been been out of the sport since then. So, well, that was uh, quite impressive to get about twenty years of career it's into concise. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wasn't sure when you said start from the beginning. I didn't know whether you meant like my first swimming lesson. Or... Yeah, day <laughs> I one. Mean, I started yeah. and the bricks off the bottom of the pool and. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, it all in, yeah. yeah, you had a, a very different career path to what me, me and Amy had. We were both very late developers. Where you, you were one of those rare exceptional talents where you were getting identified at 12 years old, which, you know, that's I, I can't even imagine that really. I was, it took me a lot, lot longer than that to kind of get to grips with anything. So, yeah, 12 years old to get identified. What's that like to start? You know, is that a lot of pressure? <laughs> Is that just exciting? Do you think about anything like that at that age or do you just roll with it? <laughs> I think uh, I think maybe a little bit of everything at that age. It was yeah. it was exciting to be in that group, to be identified, to get a letter through. You know, you've been identified as being talented and, and over the next couple of years, we're going to take you to some of these cool competitions and these camps. I was horrendously homesick, so I, I actually hated the camps to begin with. Um, so I so I actually struggled more with with that side of things than um, than the pressure or anything like that. I just I didn't really like going away from home. Um, so so but it, it was really cool. And I think looking back now that it was great exposure to go and compete internationally and things like that, which probably helped those first kind of real international competitions on the you know the senior teams be a little bit less daunting because some of those competitors I'd already raced against. Um, so I think I think that was probably helpful. I think it's 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 really important when I, you know I get asked a lot about my journey as a young athlete from you know young athletes today and their parents and coaches and things as well. Kind of saying, you know, if you're not at that standard at 12, 13, 14, then should we just kind of give up? And I think it's so so important that young athletes understand that everybody's journey is different, which is why, in in some respects, I almost wish, from a kind of a, a role model perspective, that my journey had been maybe a bit more like yours, so that it was too good. About, basically, I was too yeah, good. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I think it's you know there are there are so many examples of athletes competing at a, at a really high level now who who weren't on the smart track programs at 12 13 14 so um yeah i really do try and kind of reiterate with with club swimmers and with their parents and coaches as well that everybody just you know people take their own time with this kind of thing and if you're not breaking the, the records at 12 or 13 or even 16 that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have the potential to go on to do so so um yeah it's an interesting one for me that was my experience but um I think it was, I don't think it was a, a negative for me. I don't think I, I um, kind of found too much pressure with it. I, I enjoyed most of it. Um, I, I think, um, yeah, it was, it was mainly just good opportunities, I think. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, like obviously we've been saying about you, you were going away on camps and going to different competitions from a lot of, compared to a lot of other swimmers of your age at that point. Obviously, you've still got things like schoolwork and academics have always been something that's important to you, especially like as well as being creative. Like I know you're really good at drawing and, and everything like that. How did you kind of manage that? Because obviously it's difficult for, for any athlete trying to balance those things at that age. Obviously, you're then adding on to that going away for a few weeks at a time to a different country and missing school. How was that for you? 
Yeah, that's a, it's a good question. I get, I get asked that a lot. I think probably maybe my reflections back are uh, mainly of it being okay. I'm sure in the initial stages, there probably were some difficult conversations between us, you know, our family and teachers and coaches trying to coordinate this. Um, and, it, and, it, and it was di- um, kind of, you know, a difficult balancing act to get right. I think I probably... Um, learn a pretty important skill through it about ownership and about responsibility so my teachers were brilliant with me if I took ownership of what I wanted to achieve and if I was proactive about going and talking to them and saying you know I'm going to the world cups next week and we're or in a month's time and we're going to be away for two weeks I'm going to be missing these lessons so can you help me get ahead of everybody else so that I'm not trying to catch up when I get back? And that seems like a very mature attitude to have. And I'm sure when I was, you know, 12, 13, I didn't have that. But over those few years in my teenage years, I think I started to develop that skill. And, it, and it's probably something that, um, you know, was a really positive thing for me as a young athlete. And I almost took it with the, the view of, I know this is difficult. And I know that people find this hard to balance. And therefore, I'm intrigued as to whether or not I can deal with it as well, you know, whether I can get that balance right. Um, so, so yes, my, my GCSE year, I took eight weeks out of school to go to Australia for the world champs in March, April. So not, not the ideal time to take eight weeks out of school. Um, but, but again, by that point, I've been doing it for enough time and I had that relationship with, with my teachers and with the school who, who were fantastic with me. Um, and came home from and this was you know this was before the days we had internet but it was before the days of having like you know skype being able to to dial in the same way as we would now you had to like plug your laptop in and dial up to be able to just to to just uh, answer a single email um so so yeah i got home from those those uh world championships and got like seven a stars in my gcse's that summer which didn't go down that well with my friends at school but (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) It's definitely a testament to the fact that you you absolutely can balance both of those things. Um, and then I think the other... Sorry, go on. No, I was just going to... You stood out to me that you said, I just wonder whether like, I could do this. You just like your competitive nature just jumped out yeah. straight away. Yeah. Another aspect of competition. I can make this work. Yeah. Can do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was almost like you guys think this is going to be hard, whether that's, you, you know, my parents thinking that, my coaches, my school teachers, my friends saying I'm a maniac. And I was like, all right, well, like rise to that kind of thing. Um, so, and I'm, you know, there, there definitely were challenges as well. And I'm sure there were tears along the way where I wasn't getting that balance right. And it did become stressful to, to try and um, do all those things. And I think there's a, you know, there's an important lesson there around communication as well. People can't read your mind. So what, you know, you, if you, you're, you're thinking, oh, I'm, di- I'm finding this di- difficult to, to balance, but it, again, it's your responsibility to let people know that you need support with that. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's part of the journey that I went on by the time I was, you know, doing my GCSEs or my A-levels. I was in a position where I, I'd built those communication structures with people to be able to say, yes, I, I, I need your support. Um, yeah. And I think I was just going to say the other thing around school and, and, and it links into that a little bit when I said earlier about people thinking I was a maniac. You are different at school, you know, when you're doing this, when you're competing like an elite athlete. And I mean, I was doing 60K a week at 13, 13, 14. Um, no wonder I got tired, Jovo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, 
you you are different you do stand out you're going into training you know going into school with wet hair in the morning you're falling asleep in class you're leaving early I was going home some days for a nap at lunchtime you know you are slightly different and I think I get asked that a lot by young athletes as well as you know did you find it difficult to be different to everybody else did you find it hard to you know not be able to go to the party at the weekend and not have the social life that everybody else was having and I think in the early stages I did and I did feel like I I didn't fit in and then I kind of got a bit of perspective on it in quite a cool way and I was like I don't really want to be the same as everyone else you know I'm I'm on a journey that like is hopefully going to take me to competing for my country and actually that's something pretty special and I'm you know got all these different skills and I'm hopefully going to travel the world and you know do all these these cool things that my peers aren't doing at school and actually would I give that up for one rubbish party at the weekend <laughs> like it just it became quite an easy choice for me and maybe that's a personal thing because um I mean you guys know me but I, I'm not that fond of, of fitting in anyway um <laughs> And actually, for, for me, it was just about kind of accepting that that was the case and being like, I'm on my own journey here and that's fine. Um, you know, I don't need to be like everyone else. No, definitely. I mean, that's, that's part of the fun of it, isn't it? It's, it's something different that people, reg, regular people, if you like, are getting to experience. So Normals, yeah. Take that opportunity <laughs> is what I would say. I mean, the, obviously, looking at the swimming side of things then more than the academics maybe, um, Having started progressing so young to such a high level, do you think that kind of altered the amount of expectation that was put upon you, whether it was from yourself, whether it was from peers, coaches, parents, whatever it was? Do you think because you'd started that journey so young, that came differently or earlier than maybe others that started that journey later? Yeah, maybe maybe a little bit. Um, I, I feel like I was shielded from it. It, mainly um if there was an extra expectation I don't think I ever felt like particularly like oh because I was good when I was younger that means I need to be good now I guess you know we, we all everyone athletes all kind of reach at some point in their career they're going to reach some kind of plateau or so, you know the, the the peak of their performance and they find it difficult to get past that point I guess for me that maybe happened a little bit earlier than other athletes who weren't on the scene till a bit later um but I but I don't think I ever felt particularly like you know because of my success as a young athlete that meant that there was a load of extra pressure to perform later on I think when I competed in Beijing I was still super young there so there wasn't really pressure there and then by the time we competed in London I feel like there was kind of pressure on the whole team because we were British athletes and all eyes were on us so um yeah in in that sense I I, I didn't feel like it, it was something that I was really aware of maybe looking back now that maybe was a little bit um extra but I don't think I um maybe absorbed or internalized that too much <laughs> good yeah no I, I like to hear that because I think it'd be really easy for you know really successful youngsters to to have that pressure put on them from wherever like I said before it can come from lots of different places and it might even be from themselves like they think oh I'm being given this opportunity I've got to got to make the most of it I've got to do this do that um and sometimes it can then get a bit too much and it goes yeah it way and becomes detrimental so I really like to hear that that wasn't the case for you and obviously your parents and your coaches and everyone kept you at that really good calm 
logical level where it's kind of like okay yeah yeah like there's everything else in life as well it's not like swimming and that's all you need to do yeah well, it's sort of yeah, I th- what you said there about um, going back to your younger days and your academics and getting onto the pathways really early, it sounded like it matured you quite a lot faster than, well, comparing to myself, definitely. <laughs> like, uh, I, I, I remember you saying there you had to have those preempt conversations with your teachers, I'm going to be away, I'm, I'm yeah. this and that. Whereas I was probably doing my degree in my early 20s and still not doing that very well. Whereas, like, in hindsight, I always think now, and I had a conversation with my old swimming club last night, Rotherham Metro, and they were talking about a similar thing, how do you balance the studies and uh, training? And I was like, that's one big advice I'd give. I'd talk to your teachers pre-advance and think about your body language, like you said, you're falling asleep. If they know why you're doing that, then they're not going to be upset with you or as upset with you. Yeah, yeah. Things like that. So it really sounds like it kind of matured you. It was more, definitely more of a positive thing. And a negative, yeah. I think it would keep you quite shielded. I think that's what people tend to think. If you're on one of these pathways really early, you're in a bit of a bubble. But that didn't seem to be, be the case from what you're saying there. No, no. In fact, it, I, yeah, I agree. I think it probably exposed me to more challenges that mm. enabled me to start to develop some of those skills. Um, yeah. And, yeah, you know, absolutely with, with things like the school and the communication. And, you know, in, in general, people want to help you out. But they can't do that if you can't communicate that to them or you can't communicate what you're what you're trying to do from that so um yeah I think that was definitely a case my, my parents as well were hugely integral in that I, I, I think my um my my parents are um very probably quite similar to me like very very laid back like real kind of fun people to be around and they've always been of the opinion like they're so supportive and they they lived everything through me and they've you know felt the highs with me and felt the lows with me as well but they were very very clear throughout my whole journey that they only wanted me to do it if I wanted to do it um and I think that's the the bit where I find it challenging when I see other you know parents swimmer dynamics where you know the parents kind of is putting that pressure on saying you know because we've invested this amount we you know we know swimming is expensive we know it's difficult to be all across the country and 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 competing all over the place and um and and for me before a competition like the worst thing that you could possibly say to me is we've got an expectation of you because of what we've invested because you've been on this program because british swimming have bought into you because we've had to spend x amount of thousands of pounds this year and we've not spent as much time with your brothers because we're spending it with you you know that would have been like the worst thing that i could possibly hear before a race and most parents are doing it in a way that you know if they say that they're just trying to say you know we want you to take this seriously but in the heat of the moment when we're feeling nervous about stuff like all I wanted to hear and I always tell you know parents this you know this is the kind of the guidance for communicating with swimmers before races is do your best we love you no matter what happens like do your best enjoy it we love you no matter what like we support you we're proud of you whether you get disqualified whether you win the race whether you break the world record we're super proud of you regardless and like for me that was just like that was all I could hear before I competed otherwise it just I, I just went um so I think maybe you know I was maybe lucky in that sense in that that was the way that they were anyway. Um, and it breaks my heart a little bit when, you know, that there's a real struggle there with, with other um, kind of families. Cause I know that the parents are always trying, they're doing their best to, 
you know they just want what's best for the for the swimmers but there are um definitely you know some phrases that that could could help and maybe could hinder as well when it comes to performance so um yeah i think you know they my parents definitely played a, a really big part in in that and maybe i, I just got lucky a little bit there <laughs> absolutely yeah i think you're right every parent is you know, obviously we've not done it but every parent is going to want what's best for their child and that is always going to be you know what's behind any comments that they're trying to give and I think it is just understanding how best to motivate your child so for some it might be that they want that kind of pressure more yeah. than do I guess but yeah I mean that's just about learning learning your child yeah. what works best for them what about yeah and again it's having those conversations isn't it it's being yeah. able to say like what works for you before because yeah. I, I agree there are some athletes who like they need to be like g'd up a little bit before they need to someone to say you've been looking great in training we know you can smash it we believe in you and i was like i didn't want to hear any of that but it's, you're not going to know that unless you have that conversation it's the same with coaches you know coaches again it shouldn't be guesswork for them to know what to say to an athlete beforehand there should be a conversation at some point um where where the athlete's like this is this is what works for me and this is what doesn't and then let's you know create a bit of a script for that. That's yeah. I mean, like I said, that's really nice advice for for parents, swimmers, and coaches before a race. What about post race? So I feel like it's great. It's easy if you've had a good race. Everybody's all smiles, yeah. Everybody's around you. It's easy. You can't really get that bit. Yeah. What about if you've had a race where you're not happy and you're deflated? What do you? What would you? Yeah. Parents at that point, like if you could give advice to parents on, on that. Yeah, so I think, um, so in terms of like re reflective practice, I think there's a, a few, I think from a parent perspective or actually a coach perspective as well, there are, it, it, it's more about asking questions. Mm -hmm. So I think the wrong thing to do is probably to give your opinions on it. Oh, you, you know, you messed up that turn. Oh, you, you, you went out far too hard and then you died on the last 50. You know, a kid's going to know that. Uh, the swimmer's yeah. going to absolutely know if that's the case. They, they don't need telling that that was the case. So I think, the first question is, is what do you think about that race? What are your, what are your thoughts on it? And it's okay if that's emotional. It's okay if that's, I'm really disappointed. It didn't go well. I'm, I'm really annoyed because I messed this bit up. I slipped on the start. I got distracted by someone that's going faster than me and I'm, I'm really annoyed with myself. I'm really frustrated with that. That's okay. The next two questions are what, what was good about the race? Where were the positives? There'll always be a positive. Uh, so what was good about the race? And then finally, what could be different or what could we do differently next time? So what are we learning from this? So, yeah. you know, what's, what's the next step? And I think those are a three question like script, I guess, for coaches and parents coming out. And it, again, it gives the athlete that ownership as well, because this is them reflecting rather than it being, you did this, you did that. And I know a coach's position, you know, there, there might be some splits or some stopwatch you know, information that they might give as well. But I think there's a time and a place for that. And when we're talking about actually learning from challenging bases, get it out. If it's, if it's frustrating, if it's emotional, that's okay. We need that sometimes. Make sure you find some positives. There'll always be one. And then for the negatives, let's look at how we can learn from them going forwards. And then if you've done that, even that process of doing that turns that race into a positive um and turns it into you know as, as long as you can take one learning point into your next race then it's not been a you know it's not been a mess up or it's not been a disappointment definitely yeah I, I really like that advice and like you said there's there's kind of in your in your mind there's those three stages that can be really helpful to a swimmer after having um a race that they didn't quite want 
Do you think, in my head, um, thinking back to when I was younger particularly, I think initially I probably would have just wanted an arm around the shoulder and a bit of a hug first. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. It says it all initially because it would have been too early for me to start thinking, well, what positive yeah. from that just yet? And then maybe, would you say that there is a bit of a staggered sort of effect yeah so 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 those three questions i was almost imagining them from a parent perspective like in the car on the way home yes. that kind of time almost mm-hmm. um I, I absolutely think you know if you've just got out and your swimmer's in tears or whatever there is a time to just be like it's gonna be okay it's just <laughs> yeah. swimming i think we still there's a bit you. of a time i think for, yeah for a bit of perspective as well on it you know it's it's just a swimming race like when i when I think about the reality of my event and the amount of tears I cried over my event, I'm spinning my arms backwards for two minutes. Like that's what I'm doing. That's um, you know, about it, yeah. <laughs> and, and, but when you can see it in that light, suddenly you're kind of like, oh, hey, you know, this is just, a, it's just sport. It's just swimming. Um, so absolutely, I think initially, if you're upset about it, if it is emotional, then maybe there's just a kind of a pat on the back. It's going to be okay. What well, we used we used to do um, with a couple of my coaches was we'd go through like an initial how do you how do you feel about that and that might be a, a pat on the back or a whatever. I'd go and swim down and then we'd come back and go and go through a bit more of the reflected stuff. So it gave me a bit of time to process those things. I knew the questions would be coming and we'd still be chatting about them, um, but I'd have you know a twenty minute or a half an hour kind of break in between so it wasn't quite as raw as just getting out of the pool and having to go into I agree that's not the right time for to be going into the classroom environment (laughs) Um, I was kind of more thinking maybe you know later in the day or even on the the way home kind of things when it feels a little bit less raw yeah I mean there's definitely these different responses I mean the your brain kind of works in initially you will have an emotional response to whatever it is you'll have a reaction and your initial one is emotional so it's kind of like you say, let it out if you feel like that's yeah. what you need to do. And your brain instantaneously doesn't go to that logical point yeah. <laughs> to, to try yeah, yeah. the whys or the hows or what do we do now. So, um, yeah, definitely. I think, and it's it, again, it's learning your swimmer, isn't it, as a parent, as a coach, and, and how yeah. you leave those uh, between each, each other, really. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. for you, obviously, throughout your career, you've had some – well, everyone has highs and lows. Uh, you've had some absolutely incredible highs. I'm sure you've had lows along the way as well, um, as everyone does. Um, I mean, what would you say are some of your toughest times within the sport? I mean, I, I would imagine maybe 2012, like you've said, it was kind of an absolute highlight. And you, you yeah. did amazingly, but you came fourth, which can obviously be the hardest position to come in even though it is yeah. an absolutely incredible achievement. So how, how did you deal with those kind of ups and downs and how did you feel after 2012? Yeah, 2012 is an interesting one for me. It's um, something that I think I, at the time it, it was bittersweet. It felt I was, I was proud and I was disappointed at the same time and it was all, all a kind of a bit of a mix of emotions about that. I think it's probably taught me the most about myself in a in the the years following that and I think um I looked back on that race afterwards feeling kind of like a lot of not shame but like disappointment or just not having quite achieved what I'd gone there to do to finish on that podium um and I think I my reflections of it were quite negative 
And I think it's, it taught me a really big lesson about, um, about mindset and about, um, the way in which you view adversity, like no one else, not a single other person, not my parents, not the media, not my teammates, not my coaches were like, yeah, you failed. You let yourself down. You were disappointment. Like nobody else had said that. Yeah. I was making the decision to focus on that instead of choosing to focus on the achievement that it had been. And, and it got to the point where I was like, I have to take responsibility for that choice because no one else is doing that for me. And I have a choice whether or not I go through the rest of my life reflecting back on this, thinking this is a disappointment. It was a, you know, a, a low period or celebrating the, you know, the amazing achievement and experience that it was. Um, and I think it's, a, you know, it's an important lesson for sports people, but also people outside of sport as well, because people, you know, everyone has barriers and obstacles and hurdles in their lives. And we're all faced with, with um, a certain amount of adversity at the moment, but we've also got a choice with it. Um, and we can see it as an obstacle and be kind of sitting there saying, this is annoying. I wish it wasn't happening. I wish it was happening to somebody else. Or we can see it as an opportunity for learning and for, for growth and development. And when you realize you have that choice, it, it's really empowering. Um, and we don't always make the right choice. You know, we've, we've all been in a position where we've, where we've not made the right choice. But uh, even understanding that you do have a choice in, in the way that you approach challenges and adversity is, is really defining. Um, and the second thing that I think I learned from that experience and the reason this is probably a more, a more kind of personal one. And the reason why now I kind of think it was maybe almost a good thing that it happened was that I took a big hit to my confidence in London and I didn't, I, I left the race and I left, you know, the next couple of years, I, I felt much lower in confidence. I didn't feel as, you know, as confident about my abilities or about myself as a person. I think looking back, I, relied on that race to prove my self-worth and to prove my confidence and actually since processing it since then I think I'd probably done that for most of my career I don't think I really ever de developed the skills to generate my own confidence so I'd always use the scoreboard to do it for me and it's super super common like we said earlier with those athletes who are successful at a young age because you naturally associate success with people high-fiving you and the media wanting stories and everyone saying how great you are and what a bright future you have. And the two just get a little bit muddled of, I'm a good person because I can swim fast. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it, it, through that experience of London, I started to separate myself as a person from my successes and failures in the pool and started to understand that my performance on any given day was just how fast I could spin my arms backwards and how fast everybody else could do it. And it wasn't a reflection of me. It wasn't, it didn't mean that I wasn't a good person. It didn't mean that people wouldn't want to hang out with me. Um, and it, and it took a long time. Um, it's something that I've only kind of stopped thinking about recently of how is, how is this relevant for me, but it definitely helped me recognize my value as a human being and not just an athlete which um yeah looking back now I mean it, it it kind of feels a bit weird I don't think I would have gone through I think you know if I could go back and change it I'd probably take the Olympic medal but uh but you know but it still it, it taught me to value myself above and beyond sport 
Um, and that's something that I think I would have, you know, had to learn in a difficult way at some point in my career anyway. So, um, yeah, it's, it was definitely turned into something that was a huge positive in terms of the way I hold myself and conduct myself now. Um, so, so yeah, an interesting, an interesting lesson. And it's something that I, now when I'm like mentoring young athletes and things, I make sure that they understand the distinction between their abilities and their results versus their you know their their worth and their values and how they're judging themselves it's such a i mean it's fantastic that simile yeah and it is such a hard thing i think to do at any age because obviously your sport especially a sport like swimming we were speaking about this with you and dale before like it's such a time consuming sport and we spend about 99 percent of it training so you put so much of your effort and energy into training for those few key moments yeah, it does mean a lot to you. It's not like you're just playing yeah. for hours a week. Uh, you right. what nearly thirty hours a week training for the last at least four years to the next Olympic cycle and all, yeah. all work starting from six years old. So it's really hard to yeah. Obviously, if you get a good result, you're going to feel happy. If you get a bad result, how do you not beat yourself up for that? How do you not reflect negatively on that? That is the hard thing, I think, and to separate. Yeah. It seems easy thing to say. And I feel like it's a hard thing then to get across to other people yeah. outside of your sport, and especially your own sport even. How do you even get them to understand that? And I think over the last few years, there's been a lot of, um, a lot of talk, a lot of athletes coming out around transitioning and coming out of sport. Um, yeah. Examples between us, uh, where athletes have struggled. I struggled personally a little bit. I found it quite hard because... Yeah, all that stuff you were saying, and because I hadn't had the fairy tale end to my career that I wanted, I was then upset about it. And it, was, it took a long time reflecting to try and let that go. And to, so, how, how, how was your transition out of that? Because those realizations that you're talking about now, you had to cultivate them. I'm, I'm thinking over over a quite period of time. That's not something you could. Yeah, do definitely. Home in the car, is it? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I I completely agree with that point. I mean, I, I'll talk about transition in a second. I think one of the things you can do at a younger age is encourage athletes and and just young people in general to kind of own their failures as much as their successes like it's really easy for us as human beings to own our successes we're like yeah i smashed that that's because all of my ability on the day like i nailed it i've got the skills i did it i put the hard work in and i got the result and yet when we don't get the the result that we want it's very easy to say yeah but the, the pool temperature wasn't right and i'd not eaten the right food beforehand and someone said to me to me beforehand and it just really put you know we we find excuses and we 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 find it very difficult to own that so there's an interesting challenge for people to start taking ownership of their failures just as much as they are their successes you know have a list of both of those things your failures are an indication that you're challenging yourself that you're pushing your you know your limits that you're finding your boundaries and that's not a bad thing um so i think there is still work that can be done with young people in general around that we don't like the word failure and yet it often leads to great things so um there's a yeah interesting interesting challenge around that but to go to your actual question around transition um, my transition was um out of sport was interesting it was challenging it was a mix of highs and lows in ways that I was expecting and ways that I wasn't expecting. Um, I think I'd spoken to enough people. Can you see me, by the way? It's very dark in this room. Do you want me to switch the light on? Yeah, but we can see you. Do you want me to switch the light on? You're good. Okay. 
<laughs> okay, cool. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I'd, I'd as uh, so I retired at 27, and because I'd been on the team for so long, most of my peers had already transitioned out of the team. So most of the people that I was competing with when I was 17, 18, 19, the real kind of like height of my career around that London period, they'd already stopped. So I guess I had the benefit of most of my close peers and my close friends in sport had already retired before me. So there were lots of people with kind of advice just saying, this is normal, you know, to be feeling a bit uneasy about these things. Um, I think there were a few, a few things that I struggled with. One of the, one of the key things I struggled with was the amount of freedom, which is an interesting thing because it was one of the things I was looking forward to the most. So when I was leading up to retirement, I was like, I cannot wait for someone to not be telling me where to be, what to eat, where, you know, what to do in my recovery, what my season looks like, when I can take time off, what my skin fold should be, et cetera, et cetera. And actually when it came, it was really daunting to not have structure and to not have, um, you know, not know what your year looked like. Um, with that came a lack of kind of direction in terms of goals, in terms of, well, I don't really know what I'm aiming towards and I don't, I don't really care. I don't really feel that motivated towards it. And I'd never known myself as an unmotivated person because I'd always had that in, in sport. Um, so, so there were some challenges around just finding a bit of direction and understanding that goals and progress um, and feedback look very different in the real world. You don't have a coach standing there with a stopwatch telling you how you're doing at public speaking or how you're doing at boardroom skills. So it's much more difficult to gauge where you are at any given point. Um, so I really struggled with that, trying to find measurements that I was so familiar with in sport and trying to find that out in the real world. Um, and I think the, the biggest, so, so I, the first few months when I, when I stopped, I actually felt like I was just on holiday. So that was, that was great. Um, I felt like I really needed a break and it was great to be having a break. Um, and then we went into the back end of, of 2018 and for a few different reasons, probably a key one being that there were no warm weather training camps all of a sudden for me. And I realized what January in the UK looked like. <laughs> People actually stay here for this month. Um, so, so that, that was a really challenging period. And I had a few, I, I think, you know, it was fairly low in terms of mindset and mental health and things like that. And I think what I was doing and I realized what afterwards, what I was doing, I was comparing all of the best bits of sport, so walking out to the Olympic Games final with all of the worst bits of retirement. So being sat in your pants on a Tuesday morning at half nine with nothing to do. And actually, that's not a fair comparison to make. You know, there are, there are great parts about sport and there are challenges as well. And I had, you know, my fair share of both. And the same with retirement as well. There are going to be some rubbish days and there's going to be some awesome stuff as well. Um, so I was making quite an unfair comparison. I think I was... I was, I was, again, I was choosing to focus on all the things I was missing out on, the, the, the training camps, the competitions, instead of choosing to say, I'm now out in the real world. I have very little responsibilities and the world is literally my oyster in a really amazing way. And there's so many things I can do and there's so many people I can speak to and I have so much freedom to do whatever I want in this new world you know, sport tick, I've, I've done that. <laughs> um, and actually now I should be really excited about that. And once I, st it, it, it didn't, it wasn't, didn't happen overnight, but I started to become 
um, excited again and, and feel motivated again about doing things and realise that, you know, it, it's just different out here. There's no Olympic Games of life. You get to decide how you win at life. And that's different, but no less exciting, I guess. Um, so, so, yeah, so it's been a, it's been a, it's been a journey. Um, I think I'm in a pretty good place now. I'm doing lots of different things. I, I was very resistant to going into one full-time role, which was probably a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to doing one thing for the last 20 years. Um, but, uh, but no, it's exciting. There's uh, lots, of, lots of good stuff ahead. Yeah, that's great. I mean, we, we were speaking with Alex Bailey, Performance Lifestyle Advisor, yesterday. Um, and we spoke about that structure. And that's, that's something I struggled with coming out of swimming as well is – your whole life you've got um you know even in school you, you sort of you, you go to gcse's then you go to your a levels then you go to uni then you you've always got that next goal kind of already set for you depending on what route you want to take and it's the same as swimming you go to european champs then the next year it's worlds then the next year it's Commonwealth, yeah. then it's whatever it is it's all laid out for you and you can choose whether or not to kind of take that route Whereas, yes, I struggled with that lack of structure coming out because there aren't those, those uh, stepping like stones. Milestones, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, what, what are you aiming for? I mean, now, obviously, you've kind of got your head around that structure and you've created your own and you're doing so many different things, like you say, you're not just, you don't want to go into just one. Um, so what are you doing now? Can you tell us? Because you've got loads... I didn't name them all because I can't remember. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I, so I guess I'll, I'll keep it fairly simple. Various different roles within these spheres, but I've gone down three different strands, I think. Um, the first one is feeding back into the kind of lower levels of sports. So the grassroots side of things, the, the masterclasses, the bit of coaching, the kind of mentoring young athletes. Um, it was, it, I never wanted to be a coach mainly cause I don't want to get up at four o'clock in the morning ever again. Um, but, but I do think it's important and valuable for elite athletes to feed their experience back into, you know, the lower levels of sport. And it, you know, it's some, obviously something you guys are, are really familiar with and are kind of acing that space. But, um, it, I, I think, um, it, you know, young athletes, there's, there are programs and there are development programs, but swimming's a, a high participation sport unless you're you're on one of those programs unless you're on me when you're 12 or 13 or whatever it is you don't get a guidebook for how to navigate this you don't get you know someone saying this is how you chat to your teachers this is how you can manage your nutrition this is how, you know these are what you expect to go through in your teenage years you know this is how you speak to your coach this is how you get through a plateau this is when you should be starting to think about some land training these are you know this is what the mindset should be if you get injured there's no guidebook on doing that um and it's so you know it's so important we've all been through that and we all made our own mistakes age 15 16 joe when you were 25 you know <laughs> um we we've all been through those stages as young athletes and it's important that that you know that um experience doesn't just you know go away now that i move out of sports so it's something you do you guys do in in a much bigger sense than i do but i try and do you know a little bit of that so that would be the first one that uh, that i've been doing um been doing a lot more of that recently actually because there are a lot of bored kids sitting at home um <laughs> from some clubs so i've been doing lots of webinars and things like that with them um the, the, the second route is definitely back into that 
high performance sport. Um, so a few different roles with various organizations um, in that kind of sphere, which is all about bringing athlete perspective to the decisions that are made around the heart of British sports. So whether that's to do with athlete welfare and, you know, supporting athletes, elite athletes with things like mental health and transition, or whether it's actually to do with the Olympic journey and, you know, all the way from athlete support programs to when you get on the plane to go to Tokyo and what your kit looks like and all of that kind of, you know, the whole athlete journey, um, making sure that all the decisions around those initiatives are athlete driven. Um, so I've got a few different roles in, in that kind of sphere because I'm very passionate about athlete well-being and making sure that we give fellow athletes, um, you know, the, the best experience possible, both from a performance perspective and also from a, you know, a well-being and a holistic development perspective as well. Um, and then the third area, which um, I've become interested in human performance and why we do what we do and how we got good at doing what we do and why you know us three in this virtual room were successful at what we do because uh yeah I know Joe's got some pretty big guns over there but I wouldn't say we're any of us are kind of like you know freakishly tall or like you know absolutely crazily genetically talented yet we made it to the top um and I think there's some interesting questions around that that what what helped us make it to the top what were the mindsets what were the skills what were the attributes that allowed us to be successful when maybe actually some of our peers didn't quite make it um so i've been doing a bit of unpicking into some of those things and they relate to things like motivation and mindset and goal setting um manage you know managing stress managing pressure which some people you know find it difficult to do and the way that athletes learn to do that and then basically translating those into things like businesses as well so helping people who may have never got a swimming pool before understand stress the way that uh you know an elite athlete understands stress and the you know adopt some of the strategies that we may have developed in our career that became so normal for us to develop in our career um and understand how that 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 those can make them successful in in their objectives as well so they're my kind of they're my three areas i won't go into all of the different names and roles and things like that again mainly because i've missed some out and i feel bad about it afterwards um (laughs) but yeah lots of different things i'm enjoying having no month that looks the same. Um, you know, I, I don't know where I'm going to be on month, you know, three Mondays from now. It's, um, it's, it's exciting and it's still, still <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, at the moment still, still, still probably sitting here doing eight hours of zoom per day. Um, but, but yeah, in general, you know, everything's changing quite a lot and the new opportunities popping up all over the place. Some things don't work out. And some things go in a completely different direction and there are far more, you know, it's far more opportunity than you, you ever thought. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's good. Lots of, lots of stuff going on. Spinning a few plates. Oh, well, good <laughs> free time. I think I'm busier now. I don't know how this has happened. <laughs> I was looking forward to a few weeks off in lockdown and uh, things have become, things have picked up. Um, but yeah, no, all good. Oh, Fantastic. good. Well, I mean, like you said there, you tried lots of different things. Some of them don't always work out. Um, so yeah. Same as in sports, same as in swimming. And you have to kind of learn to accept that not everything's going to always work out exactly the way that you imagined it or planned it. Um, yeah. Obviously, that's a skill that you've probably taken from looking back over your swimming career into working world as such now. Um, what, what kind of skills do you think you've, ta- you've really like, taken from swimming and embedded into what you do now? Yeah, I think... Um yeah a few a few different things i think 
Um, probably the, the ownership and responsibility is probably a big one. There were, you know, the, the, we've talked about some of the highs. And I spoke about London as well. There were points in my career as well where I didn't feel like I had very good ownership over things. I didn't feel like I had good say in what we were doing and I was really able to invest in, in what we were doing. And I really struggled in those times. And I probably, you know, I think the... The, the worst thing you can do if you're expecting a different outcome is do the same things. You know, if you, if you want a different outcome in something, you have to make a change. And I think lots of people are fearful of change and we, 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 we like the known, we like to feel familiar and comfortable with things. And actually, I think one of the biggest things that I've learned from that is in some cases, you should just go for it. Like most things that happen, even if it doesn't work out, you reflect back and say, oh, that didn't work out. Now I know that that's not the right direction, but actually it's opened this whole new door in a different direction. I met these new people or whatever it is. And actually I think I was very hesitant in most of my career to make a step, to make a change, to, to do something different. And that's not to say that, you know, the minute that you stop performing or the minute that you, you know, you start plattering, you should just be like, let's change everything. Um, <laughs> but there comes a point where you've got to ask yourself, am I expecting different results while doing the same thing? Um, and I think that's, that was probably one of the, the, the biggest kind of skills is just around taking ownership of that. If things aren't right, doing something about it, you know, it's, it's no one else's responsibility to, to make you happy, to, to, to support you, to make you successful. It's yours. Um, so I think that's, that's been a big one. Um, I think probably, um, there's, there's an interesting one around leadership, I think. And I, I think I always felt a bit hesitant to think of myself as a leader because we don't in, in swimming it's an individual sport and we're not in a team the same way that you'd be captain in say like a hockey team or something like that where you think of traditional team and leader but actually swimmers are great team members and they are great leaders as well because you're still managing a team around you it's just the ones of coaches of support scientists of nutritionists of psychologists I think you know there's a huge team around us that you have to manage and and, and help them understand how they can get the best out of you. So, um, yeah, I never really thought of myself as being a, a team, not a team player, but a, a kind of in a traditional kind of sporting team. Um, but actually reflecting back, there were so many points where those interactions and the communication within that was so, so important. Um, so I think that that's probably helped. Um, and I think the final thing is just, uh, like you mentioned earlier, Amy, I think... Um, and a, a, a self-awareness that's different to most people. We have to be self-aware as athletes and say, you know, where are my weaknesses? And actually I'm okay with my weaknesses and I'm going to learn how to develop them. Um, you know, how do I respond to stress? What happens when I don't get the result that I want and how can I manage that in a different way? And lots of people outside sport, they don't have that. They don't really know why they're reacting a certain way. They don't really know, how they can um, change their, you know, their mechanisms or whatever they're doing in their lives. Whereas I think athletes have a really good self-awareness of, okay, well, this isn't working, so we're going to try a new route. I know why I'm responding in this way to something. I know why I'm feeling pressure about this. Um, so I think that's been one of the most helpful things is just building those skills where you, you understand enough about yourself to be okay with the fact that we've all got strengths and weaknesses and we don't have to you know, there's no point in having an ego up and saying, no, no, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm king dingling and I don't have any, anything to, uh, I don't have any challenges and, you know, it's all, it's all fine. Um, there's actually strength in saying, no, there are some challenges and I do, you know, need some extra support or whatever it is. So I think I probably learned that throughout my career. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm really happy to hear that you, like, you do give back to the sport at other different levels as well as the young athletes and then the welfare of the senior athletes as well because you were on the team for how long? 16 years? I mean, from, yeah, 12... Veteran. 30, 40, 300 years, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> Literally experienced it. Yeah, so there's so much knowledge there. that you, you, it's, You're right, it is, it is a shame when sometimes athletes like that just move into a different career and just leave it behind. Um, I'm not saying that's wrong, everybody's got to go their own way, but it's great to be able to give that back at those different levels as well. And you were a really good teammate, and you did have a lot of knowledge, because I obviously... Yes, Jerry. <laughs> well, we trained, we were both a lot together, all three of us, yeah. albeit in different squads, but we did uh, work with you guys and Ben Tillian at certain points. And then both you and myself, we moved down to Bath to train with Dave McNulty at the same time. And we were doing what you just said there, we were trying something new, we were trying a new way of program, new training, and all that stuff. And I remember, even though you're a good few years younger than me, you ex even had more experience than I did of being on the team and stuff. And throughout that time, you were a really strong teammate and team leader that I would look to, even though you were younger than me, we used to have some good conversations around that time as well. So Thanks, Joe. That's really... <laughs> yeah. I was. I know. Uh, and, like, and likewise for you guys, I think... What? is is really... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I was gonna, just going to say, like, kind of likewise for you guys, I think swimming is one of these sports where, like, you need people around. It's not an easy sport. Like, if you want it, if you want in for an easy ride, like, I'm not going to mention a sport, but go and pick a different sport. <laughs> um, you know, swimming, swimming is, it is a tough one, and there is a lot of investment, um, and it is challenging, and we, you know, we do, as we said earlier, the Olympics is the pinnacle, and they come around once every four years, so... If you want to look at it in a really brutal way, you're doing four years of training for a two-minute race or a four-minute race for, for you, Joe, and a 50-second race for you, Amy. Yeah. So, um, you is know, it, it, is, it is a difficult, yeah, it is a difficult sport. And actually, there's so much value in those connections that you build along the way with, with, with your peers as well um, and, and the support that, that comes from the people around you and, and the impact that you're having on the on the people around you and it's an interesting one when I reflect back now and think about who had the most impact on my career and it, it doesn't necessarily correspond with who was the most successful athlete if that makes sense you know yeah. it, 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 it's all you know your impact as a teammate goes above again goes above beyond and beyond your ability to swim medley or to swim front crawl or whatever it is um, and you can have you know you can have such a valuable impact on a on a team without, you know, anything to do with your swimming ability and, and, and how well you're, you know, you're competing. So, um, no, it's a, it's a really good point. And I think it, it shouldn't be kind of underestimated that, that impact with it. Yeah, it team. goes back full circle. Like we were saying before, your, your results and accolades as an athlete doesn't necessarily mean that's all that you are. There's no. a lot more to you than that. So, you know, you were very yeah. uh, self-aware and, you know, obviously worked out, lot more you know you growing up than I was from a young age um, and that that was reflected hence why I would be looking to someone like you to bounce some ideas off as my teammate even though you're younger than me because you had these experiences but it wasn't just the fact that you'd swam fantastic at Olympic Games and you'd been to two Olympic Games and this that and other it was all those other things that go into it so yeah it comes full circle you're not just your result yeah it does, but I mean, yeah. you just said uh, about Simo, like being a great teammate because of this, that, and the other. 
that's probably not something that you've really said in that way until maybe even now, like since you've stopped swimming. Whereas I, Amy, I genuinely thought you were going to say that's not something that I would have said. Where's he got that from? No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The down in Bath, but I, I imagine that's probably it, it wouldn't have come up in conversation. But no, no. you need to recognize that your identity isn't just being a swimmer, it's not how fast you swim, it's all those other yeah. Having that from a teammate, having that said to you, would help, yeah, it sort of solidify that feeling of you're not just swimming, <laughs> you know, you, you're yeah. here as, as a person that is a good teammate and um, really there to like motivate and encourage people and that's part of you as well. So I feel like it is on teammates to, to make sure they let yeah, yeah. know that um, yeah, definitely. Ways, rather than just being there as someone to race against in training. Yeah. 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 I think it's on, I think it's on everyone a little bit. I think the message applies to coaches and to, you know, you support network, your parents and things as well. The more, the more times you can hear as an athlete, we don't value you because of your ability to swim, the more you start to believe that. Um, but the, the challenge is when people think, well, that goes without saying, you know, we don't need to say that because of course we're not valuing them of, of their ability to swim backstroke. But then we start to build all these little beliefs on actually, I, you know, I, I do kind of think that and I do, you know, I do, I'm not sure I do know the separation between those. So absolutely agreed. I think it, it's probably something where, you know, you'll, you'll find with the best team dynamics that is said and that is something that is communicated. And, you know, there's a, there's a, um, I think there's a responsibility to care for each other above and beyond that them being good in the team because of you know their ability to play hockey or to play rugby or to swim um and it's actually you know yeah no i i care for you as a person as well and i value you as a person as well yeah. absolutely and it doesn't have to be cheesy you can like do <laughs> yeah. all sorts of things can't you what are you trying to say yeah. <laughs> so uh, moving forward like this you just said there's sort of three key areas that you're working on now after retirement so what, what's your plan? Is it to pursue one of those more? <laughs> Are you going to try and keep doing all three? Like, what's the future looking like? Um, at the moment, yeah. I yeah. At the moment, I'm kind of just playing it by ear a little bit. Um, I'm still I'm still a little bit winging it, um, and just seeing where things go over the next year. So I think when I when I came out of sport, I thought you know yeah, a year down the line, um, I'll have a bit more idea two years down the line, I'll definitely know what I want to do when I grow up. Um, and actually, I think it's, I've, I've come to terms with being okay with not knowing the plan fully and, and actually just kind of seeing where these things take me and, um, you know, lots of different opportunities popping up. And I, I quite like having the flexibility and freedom to pursue those if those things happen. Um, so, so yeah, at the moment, probably keeping the balance similar, it, it changes throughout the year a little bit. We tend to get like, you know, you'll probably, you guys probably be the same certain times of the year. There's lots of swim club stuff. And then other times of the year, no one's in the water or, you know, there's a bit less going on, obviously not referring to what's happening right now. I know it's in water right now. Um, and, and, and the same with, you know, the work with businesses as well. And also the, the, the high level sport as well, because obviously we, you know, we follow the Olympic cycle and, um, things gear up in a, in a big way towards the games. And then, you know, there'll be a little bit more relaxed and things afterwards. So, um, so yeah, it's, um, probably for now, that's, it's not really a very good answer to your question, but, but keep, you that's know, good. keep, 
juggle I think keep spinning plates is the key bullet point yeah. um and and see where it takes me um which is maybe a bit of a cop-out way of saying I'm not I'm not entirely sure which direction I want to go in long term well, I mean that's that's fine isn't it that's that's absolutely fine because a lot of people don't when they come out of sport or even when they come out of uni if they're not a sports person you know you don't initially, yeah you know, I definitely want to go down this route it takes a bit of exploration for everyone yeah and so I think yeah that's absolutely fine take the time you don't want to be stuck in something you don't want to do for the next however many years. yeah I think that was my biggest fear yeah I think that was my uh, my biggest worry was was doing that was committing to something full-time and then thinking uh, you know I, I don't actually really want to do this but now I don't have the time to do the things I I want to do um, yeah. so so yeah quite enjoying being my own boss for a little bit <laughs> oh, that's great yeah well but we're self-employed as well <laughs> yeah exactly the way to go I mean it's not the way to go with what's happening at the moment but uh but <laughs> yeah no, it is um yeah it's it's quite nice to just have that and again it's something that's come, come full circle for me from going from that point where I didn't really like the lack of routine whereas actually now I quite enjoy the fact that things are a bit different and my diary is like you know I've got nothing in it in July but it'll fill up hopefully <laughs> um you know that's the way that's the nature of this kind of work and there is less security but there's also a lot more flexibility so it's something i actually i quite enjoy now yeah, yeah. Well, i'm sure whatever you end up doing some more you'll do very well at you got a lot of passion <laughs> thanks jerry so i'm sure it'll go well <laughs> yeah best of luck simo it's really nice yes, thank you kind of hear what you're doing now and how you've got there as well so thank you so much for speaking with no me. worries at all and uh no, it's been well, hopefully camp. we'll see you soon yeah, thanks. Yes, oh, yes. Really good stuff there for uh, all the listeners. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. See you soon. Cheers, guys. Good to chat. Cheers. Bye. 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 Bye.